Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with BBC Folk Award winner and multi-instrumentalist Kieran Algar. It would be fantastic if you could subscribe to the podcast, like, rate, share and review it, because doing those things helps more people to find it in the future. I'm working on various projects at the moment, including on my YouTube channel, where I'm doing guitar lessons and videos about creativity. I'm also teaching people guitar lessons one-to-one over video call, and I'm performing occasional live stream gigs on my Facebook page. You can find out more information about all of these things on my website, which is robertlaymusic.co.uk, and I'm on social media as Robert Lay Music. Okay, here's my conversation with Kieran Alger. Hi, Kieran, how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm all right. How are you used to this weird situation that we're in now? Would you say? I, I think people are very adaptable. So sometimes I find myself quite used to the situation, and then other times, I suddenly something comes up, and I suddenly go, "What a weird world we're all suddenly living in at the moment." Yeah, I, 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 I've sort of been keeping myself so busy that I'm having less and less of those moments. But I, I sort of became used to it very quickly. Um, the weird thing of anything is if I had a day off when I was touring or something, then I'd be doing 10 times less than I'm currently doing when we're supposed to be doing very little. Um, but I'm sort of being more creative. I've got time to do projects that I've wanted to try for a while and, and sort of play with people that I've wanted to play with for a while. Um, but yeah, there are, there are days when it's sort of like I've got to go make a video and I'm sort of thinking, oh, I can't be bothered doing this. And it, it, I then enjoy it when I start, but there are days when I'm just feeling completely unmotivated. And, but yeah, I'd say mostly very used to this now, yeah. That's interesting because I find the productivity side of it very weird as well in the sense that, again, there's projects that I'll be wanting to do for ages and it's suddenly like there's loads of time to do them and you're going to find out how much you actually want to do them. But there is something about being at home sometimes on those days when it's just that thing of... I have this joint feeling of feeling quite guilty if I don't do something, but then at the same time, I'm just not in the right frame of mind. And I think we just have to allow ourselves that feeling sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing I'm seeing a lot on Twitter at the moment is sort of this, there's a lot of people and completely rightly sort of saying it's, it's okay to not be productive at the moment. But I think what people should be saying is it's okay to handle this sort of thing, however you want, however you Mm. feel. Um, because like, there's some people who are being productive because it is the sole thing that's keeping them going. Yeah. And there's some people who don't want to be productive because that's the only thing that can keep them sane. And I think there should be just a, a general acceptance universally at the moment that d- deal with it however you want, mm. the best way for you. And I think, yeah, there is, there is a lot of importance in taking this time to sort of collect your thoughts and then do things in the way that are helping you the most and... Sort of, it almost doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks or what anyone, how mm-hmm. anyone else reacts to what you're putting out. If it's music, for example, mm-hmm. I think as, as long as it is giving you some fuel or energy that otherwise might not be there, and sort of then it risks getting towards the mental health problems and mental health side of things, mm. then it's grand in my books. Just however people want to deal with it, I think is brilliant. Absolutely. And there's a whole lot of innovation going on at the moment. And you're a big part of that from what I can see in terms of my Twitter feed. So tell me, is this something new that's happened? So I'm talking about these collaboration videos where there'll be um, a fantastic folky musician, usually will play something and then you will play over the top in terms of a video. So they'll create a video and then you'll play your part, sometimes a couple of other parts. And that will be a collaboration that didn't exist before. So was that a is that one of the things that you'd been wanting to do or was that a new idea since the lockdown? Um so that was that was definitely not something I, I'd anticipated doing. Um but I had seen it was, a, it was a couple of weeks before lockdown I think or maybe a week before where there was this thing um the great Laura Wilkie fiddle player from the Bancanaris Quintet has, ri- has written this incredible tune called Torius 50th. Mm. And loads of fiddle players, I think Sam Sweeney was the first one to sort of put it on Twitter, him trying to play it. It's notoriously hard for fiddle mm. players to play. And I sort of put a video up as well of me trying to play that. And it sort of be- it became Chris and Torius' challenge. And 
then the fantastic Jen Butterworth from Canaris Quintet um, recorded herself playing two Sands video. Mm. And I, I, that must have stuck vividly in my mind when it came to lockdown because I was thinking, that's such a great idea, being able to play with someone from miles away. And I think it was also an acceptance that music and playing music and performing it to people is sort of what keeps me going in life. It's my mm. sort of driving force and trying to entertain people, however few, however many, that's what gives me joy in life. And I sort of, when we got a couple of days into lockdown and I'd had my tour with Greg Russell cancelled, um, I was sort of thinking, well, if I don't play music with people, I'm really going to struggle because I'll, I'll admit in the last few years, I very rarely play music for myself anymore. It's sort of been in gigs or rehearsals with bands, but mm. I hadn't been doing it for fun. And I thought, well, this is an opportunity. I get to play with, hopefully if they're interested, some musicians who I completely respect and admire what they do. Um, I get to carry on putting music out. People get to listen to music. And this is, you've got to bear in mind, this is before sort of Facebook has become awash with musical mm. stuff, which yeah. is absolutely grand. But I was thinking at the time, my thought was, oh, this could give people a little smile every day um, when there's no live music. And obviously, there's a lot of stuff to choose from now. But yeah, it, it, started, it started as day two of lockdown, I think. I had the idea. And then my first, my first guest was Dave DeLar from Morkin, who was very much up for it straight away. And we gave it a go. And I heard the first result and thought, oh, that's actually, that's pretty good. Mm. And this, this is when I was using really sort of low tech. I was just, it was phone videos clipped together. And um, yeah, that's, it started whilst I was in lockdown. It's not an idea I'd had beforehand, but I'm really glad I've done it because it's really kept me going throughout all this. That's, yeah. that's great. And how steep has the learning curve been in terms of the, the gear and the tech? Um, it's one of those things, I think it's forced me, like it's forced a lot of people in the folk scene especially, to embrace the technology that we sort of already, we were all, all aware of. Mm. And we were all aware that the internet would be an incredible way of us sharing our music. And some people were doing that already very successfully. But for me personally, sort of, I've been, I've been performing live for about oh God, 12 years, 13 years now, mm. and never properly looked into the tech side of things and recording and I sort of just let other people, like engineers, set up everything. And I've got music. That's, that's how I looked at it. But I've always known a bit <laughs> about it. So I used to do some podcasts for my student radio station. And I'd use Logic Pro to edit them all. So I, I knew Logic Pro could be used in some incredible ways. But I wasn't entirely sure how. So it was a case of the first thing I did, I bought a microphone, um, sort of, Fairly expensive for how much money I'm bringing in in the next six months, but in the grand scheme of microphones, not very expensive. And this is, but I knew it'd do the. This is post the the whole Corona situation that you're buying this. Yeah, yeah. so this was this was about four, five or six days into lockdown, okay. where I was sort of thinking I, I need to improve the quality of these videos. So mm -hmm. I bought a mic, which isn't. I suppose some people listening might be interested. This is an AKG two twenty, a P two twenty, and. Then I, I'd already, I already had Logic, so I started. I got an interface and I started using that. And then it's been, it's when you say when you say learning curve, it's not really been a learning curve. It's because I think that sort of implies it's sort of laborious, and it's mm. not. I've just I've been doing it through just messing around for fun. And there've been some nights I've stayed up till three a.m. Mm -hmm. pitch correcting a fiddle track or something just <laughs> just for the fun of it. And now it's getting to a stage where each track is taking me. There's one track I did um, with Minnie Birch, who you know, and you've mm -hmm. worked with, mm -hmm. um, where it was because I cared about the track so much and I loved it. I spent about 25 hours mixing and, and wow. editing my parts on it just just for the fun of it. So I think I have been learning a lot as I've gone, but I haven't sat down to learn. I've just been messing around and I've been having so much fun with it. Probably more fun than actually playing, to be honest. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm a lot better off than I was before now. And how about the video side of it? So are you editing the videos up as well, or is somebody else doing that for you? Well, so the, the videos, when I was initially doing it, the first few were done on this app called 4X Camera by mm -hmm. Roland. Um, and that was, I'd record a video on my phone, send that to another person. They would play along to that and send me the video of them playing, and I just use the app to combine them. And I could mm -hmm. do that. It was a bit fiddly, but I could do it. 
then I started when I used the logic and the mics, that wasn't a possibility anymore. So I started trying to use iMovie, which mm -hmm. that was when I realized it was going to take me hours and hours in just video editing. And I had a very generous offer by um, Rob Bridge from Redwood Photography, oh, okay. who was sort of, I've worked with a lot, um, I've worked with him a lot on various things over the last few years. And he sort of messaged me saying, if you need a hand with these videos, I'd be more than happy to. And so the work he's doing for me without charging is just absolutely incredible. Mm. And he's a very lovely man. And I wish, um, I sort of hope a lot comes comes to him out of this and he gets a lot of work when everything's mm. back to normal because he's such a brilliant guy, a lovely guy. And so how it's working now is I'm recording all of my videos on my phone and then I'm sending them over to him along with the MP3 and the video of the artist performing. And he's combining them all together and he, he's also using it as a way to sort of learn how different editing techniques as mm -hmm. well, which is which is good. And um, so, yeah, then I get the full track from him four hours later, and it's sort of day to day. So we're both working every day to do it. And yeah, I couldn't do it without him. I wouldn't have made it this far. I think it's day 38 now. Mm -hmm. I probably would have given up day 15 if Rob hadn't started helping me because the videos, I have no idea. That's completely alien to me. Yeah, that's great though, and it's the fact that it's these things are actually being developed and improved. So, my sort of experience over the lockdown has been doing a few of the online streaming gigs, which yeah. I, everyone's done them before. We've had a bit of a go and stuff, but you you were seeing what's possible with the format, but also the sort of limitations of the the platforms as well. Things that I don't think you'd have noticed otherwise, but when you're doing it quite a bit, can be quite irritating. And it'll be interesting to yeah. see how as musicians and creatives were going to be driving and requesting more from the platforms and how they improve. I mean, the video conferencing stuff as well. There's so many people doing their yeah. work or their meetings via video conferencing. And those tools are great when you start, but I wonder how many of the little glitches and the things that aren't there that you maybe need will start coming through. And it's a great period of innovation for that, I think. Yeah, well, there was a big um, big thing with Zoom, wasn't there? So the, sudden, the sudden rise in popularity of that, mm. and they realised all of their security was sort of out of date yeah. and not good enough. And this sort of forces people to innovate. And I think this will be a time we'll look, we'll look back on, on this period as sort of obviously a very, a very bad one mm. as, as far as the human race goes. But I think a lot of stuff will come out of this, which will, which will revolutionize, uh, revolutionize how we do things going forward. Um, mm. And yeah, especially on the, on the streaming side of things, um, there's a bit of software I was playing around with last night, um, which is, for it's for a big idea I've got coming up, but I sort of it's it's in its infancy at the moment, so yep. I won't talk about that. Okay. But this, this this software is sort of lacking on on one feature, and like you say, just that one feature. If if there's demand for that to be improved, and that mm. can be improved, mm. then it ultimately pushes the whole product up. And um, for them, what they can provide for software, mm. and what we can provide to our audiences, and. Mm these things will happen at a rapid pace over the next couple of months and I guess that's quite exciting sort of the te technological advances that we'll see because of this and ways of connecting with people that weren't there before mm. so yeah um, some positives to take from all this I guess I think there definitely is it's a really weird situation I keep saying that it's like we're all everyone in the world more or less is going through the same thing but we're all experiencing it in quite different ways which I guess is the same mm. with any sort of People compare it to a war situation or a disaster or whatever. You know, people have a good war and a bad war. So for all the yeah. kind of worrying about people's health and your loved ones and all this stuff, for me, there is an element of, <clears throat> as we were saying, some of the things that I'd wanted to do for a while, suddenly I have an ability to do them. Um, and for, for what you're doing, that, as you mentioned, that ability to, to play and collaborate with people who could be anywhere in the world, potentially. Now, the technology was there before, but how much... I guess people were doing it, but how much were we all sort of exploring it? Do you think there's a chance that this stuff will continue if things ever are a bit more back to normal? So sort of the online gigs and the, the videos and collaborations. I mean, they started off as well, a replacement for the real thing. Are they going to become something yeah. of their own? Well, I think, um, obviously, all, all guesswork at the moment. I think for the rest of this year, I can't see many events going ahead. So I think that that'll carry on for this year, definitely. But mm. Also, it's such a great idea for sort of festivals in winter months as well. Yeah, that's true. Because obviously, the British British summer is very short and sweet, and the festivals every weekend. And I wouldn't want that to change the world. But in the months where we can't have much music, 
I, I don't know about yourself, but for me, December, November, December always seems to be very, very quiet. Mostly mm. December and January, actually. Mm-hmm. And if there can be sort of online festivals running in the way that they've done now, but with hopefully with the technological advancements we're talking about, then why not carry them on? Why not give people the opportunity on a winter's day to watch a folk festival from their house or something? Mm-hmm. Um, it just it gives more weeks of the year that it makes it feasible to do something. And also, organising a festival where there's hardly any costs, yeah. you're giving people the opportunity to stay in their own home and do things however they want to watch it, absolutely fine. And yeah, yeah I, I think it's a great thing. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm certain some things will come out of this that will stick. Maybe not maybe not many, but I think over the, over the coming years, with streaming becoming a bigger thing, then I think it's inevitable. There'll be more stuff like that, yeah. And I wonder if the sort of the opposite will be true in the sense that once people are able to put events on and go to things, whether there will be a beautiful resurgence in in the live product as well. I, I really hope so. I think I'm, I'm pretty certain of that. My only concern would be sort of the venues. How how are a lot of these venues who put folk artists? How how are they going to survive at the end of this? And I, the, thought, yeah. I know there's schemes and I know there's schemes in place, but the amount of pubs that are going to be struggling, the amount of small venues that are going to be struggling. Mm. So that resurgence needs to be as soon as it is safe to do so. Mm. And as people need to go along as aggressively as they can to help these places. And hopefully, I think this is making us all appreciate things we took for granted a lot more. Absolutely. There are some gigs where there's been someone playing in Manchester where I live and I thought, oh, I'd love to go along to see that. And on the day, you're sort of like, oh, I've, I've had a bit of a long day. I'm a bit tired. I'll, I'll give it a miss. And now I would just kill for the opportunity to go and watch someone play music live in a room, a dark, cold room. Yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of people are probably experiencing that. And I, I just reckon let's make the most of it as soon as we can. Support artists, support venues, support sound engineers. And let, let's make a big thing of it. I think it's, it's well needed. Yeah, I wonder if you could reflect a bit on because you'd mentioned that you'd you'd been playing live for for over a decade. What was the situation, and how would you sum up the kind of live music folk scene up until you know a couple of months ago? As you know, and how has it changed over that time that you've been a part of it? Uh, I, I guess I come at it from a slightly different different way because a lot of people who were on the folk scene who were sort of around my age or maybe a few years older, mm. they sort of grew up very much on the English folk festival scene and there's loads of groups of mates who sort of have been going to every Sidmouth together, every Bromyard together. And I, that was never my experience because when I started off playing when I was like seven, I started doing the Irish music competitions, flowers. Ah, okay. So I never really, I was never really part of the folk scene. I just sort of fell into it when I joined a band of people I'd met at these floors and then started getting booked for folk festivals and just gradually. And I always said, and there was, there was when I was in the first band I was in called tree and um, the singer, Neve Bodel, a fantastic singer and guitarist. She always wanted to be a professional folk musician. And I was sort of like, I don't, I don't know why anyone would want to do that. Mm. And I was always adamant. I was like, I, I, I won't do that. I sort of, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to be an author. I'm okay. going to get all my books turned into films. And then when I got to the age of about 16 and I was gigging and I was getting on bigger stages and I was just sort of thinking, wait, I completely understand why people want to do this. And this, the thrill of performance people and sort of being vulnerable on stage, I think that's a big part of it. I never really realized. Mm. But the the you're on stage as you are and people are watching you and, and being entertained by you. I sort of realized what else what do I want to do for a living? And occasionally there are areas of doubts with that, where there's, there's days where I've had a bad gig and I'm sort of thinking, do I want to do this? But then you do the next gig and you're sort of thinking, yeah, of course I want to do this. But in terms of the folk scene, um, it, it's a strange one because I'd say in those 10, 12 years, the audience hasn't really changed. Mm. I think potentially the, the folk festivals, certain festivals, the way they do things has brought in more young people who come with their mates rather than with their parents, mm-hmm. which I think is great and really encouraging. There seems to be a lot more younger artists coming through. Um, a lot of them playing very traditional stuff, which which is fantastic for, for keeping that sort of thing alive. And 
it's, it's difficult because everyone I talk to about the state of the folk scene, they have very different answers and they have very different views on how things are going. Some people are very sort of doom and gloom about it. And some people are sort of calling this a new revival. And I don't really see either, to be honest. I, I don't, I haven't seen a massive resurgence in it, but I've not seen anything that would indicate to me that it's dying. And I think the, the one good thing is, and obviously fads change and, and people's tastes change all the time. But I think we're seeing a few more people in the charts now who are vaguely heading towards folk music in the slightest possible way. Sort of like, you look at someone like Lewis Capaldi, for example. He is someone who is writing songs on his guitar He's playing with a proper band and he's got one hell of a voice. And as soon as the, the charts have been filled more with these people who are playing instruments, like your Sam Fenders and things like that, mm. then that jump to folk music and the, 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 genu- the general folk music scene, and it's, sort of, it's what I thought Mumford & Sons would have done, but in the end it didn't seem to happen, was sort of be that stepping stone towards the folk scene. And I think as long as people are playing instruments and writing songs that matter, then the folk scene will always have a place and people will be discovering it through that, I hope. And how has the, before again, before the current situation, how has technology changed things? So it's like this, this ability that any artist can communicate with any potential audience member anywhere in the world. Well, I, I think I sort of, um, yeah, I, I think I know where you're coming from. It's, it's something that I have had issues with in the past because I'll start with the positives. I think it's amazing that as musicians, we can share our music and not you send it out into the world and you don't know where it ends up. Mm. That's incredible. And you couldn't imagine that for sort of people who aren't in the charts. That I look at my sort of streaming figures or where people are watching my current videos from, and there's people in sort of countries I've never even heard of, mm. which is fantastic. And sort of the ability in these times for us to sort of keep in touch with people and provide services by playing music and, and keeping people entertained, I think is it's brilliant. But I've always been I've always struggled with using social media in the way that I know I'm supposed to use it as a musician. Because mm-hmm. what I know you're supposed to do, and I know people go on courses for this sort of thing, is sort of everyday sort of interact with people and, and ask questions and ask what people want to see and and keep constantly remind people of what you do and mm-hmm. and sort of how good you are and, and all this sort of thing. But I've just always felt really uncomfortable with doing it myself. And I sort of see some people doing it. Like there's, there are some extremes that I've seen in the past, sort of continuous. They've got a fan base that is purely social media based. Yeah. And it, I think it can turn into sort of an almost an echo chamber. And I've, I've worked with people in the past where I think there's been a huge inflated sort of sense of self-importance from that. Mm. And but but maybe that's just because I don't use that method, and maybe I'm a lot worse off for it. You know, if I was doing that sort of stuff, maybe maybe my career would have taken off. I don't know. But do you mean in in the terms of that kind of following on social media doesn't necessarily equal people in in rooms where you're playing live? Yeah, um, in, in my in my opinion, and, and some of the experience I've seen in the in the past of people where they've got this bustling online community. And I'm mm. sure that does get streams and sell CDs. But I I think that potentially, and I told you before we started this, I might say some controversial things. Mm. So <laughs> here's the first one. I think social media following and how social media is used does not reflect quality anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that there are some people who are making careers off just being very good at typing statuses or sharing the right content which mm. there's no problem with that it's a digital age and, and that's the great way to do it and i think to be honest it's probably just envy from my part that i didn't get on board with that and mm. i don't feel comfortable with it but like i say maybe i would have been much better off if i had and sort of did use social media relentlessly but even even just in the last couple of weeks these videos it's been unintentional but the amount of attention i've received from so i ended up on bbc news the other day mm. from a viral video i did and I ended up on playing on the Jeremy Vine show. And I'm sort of thinking, well, this isn't this isn't musically satisfying for me and this isn't what I want to be doing. But if that's what there's an audience for, and there's sort of that thought, should you exploit that and just yeah. keep keep going down that sort of route of being more novel? I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, we'd, we'd, I'd like to explore that a bit, but just for the context for anyone listening, and tell us a bit about what those 
two things were that got picked up. Yeah, so there was a, everyone's probably seen the video of the um, the BBC North uh, Northwest reporter weatherman um, playing along to the BBC News theme on his drums. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I saw that video, and because my video didn't, didn't pick up till the next day, as soon as I saw his video, I went straight to my bedroom where I'm recording and recording myself playing a fiddle tune along to it. And I, I knew it would go viral. Mm. <laughs> and I was, I was so confident of it because I've never had mm. anything go viral before or anything like that. But I just knew it was sort of quirky enough, but relevant to what he'd done. And, and interestingly then with that, would those thoughts and the sort of quickness and being able to do that, would that have been possible had you not done the collab videos beforehand? Ab- absolutely not. I wouldn't okay. have had the microphone to do it. I wouldn't have had this sort of basic iMovie experience. So no, that's, that's a very good point. From what I've been doing, I had learned some skills that made that something I could do in five minutes. Right. Like, I could potentially have done something, but it would have taken me a few hours, and then I would have not done it. And that it might have been worth my time. Yes, that was. Yeah, I was going to say there might be that element. Oh, that's an idea, and then suddenly the things that fall into place of actually making that happen kind of put you off doing it. Especially in a yeah, previous I, situation when we're all going about our in inverted commas normal lives, you might have those ideas and think, yeah, but I'm I'm on the road to a gig every day. I can't be doing yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I, it, this has definitely given me the opportunity. If it's something that involves music or playing along to something, I now know how to do that in five minutes. So um, I'm I'm sure there'll be some more viral videos coming out from people over the next few weeks, and Mm -hmm. you're sure to see a fiddle track being put over (laughs) the next day (laughs) within 10 minutes. And then the second one, the Jeremy Vine? Oh, yeah. So um, when I put the BBC one out out and I went on BBC News, I got a message from one of his producers Mm -hmm. sort of saying, would you play over the Jeremy Vine on five? on Channel 5 theme tune and I said yes absolutely but I will admit this now in a safe place that I've never watched Jeremy Vine on 5 and didn't know what the theme tune was (laughs) and I was trying to watch old episodes and he talks over the end of it so I I had no idea what to play so they had to send me the mp3 and I sort of Uh, did that in about 20 minutes I did that in about 20 minutes but that that was a bit different. That was more stressful and less enjoyable because it wasn't me deciding to do something and then putting it out yeah, I, I put that first one out, not sort of caring if anyone saw it. Whereas if I knew one was going on TV, I had mm. to think about it a lot more and get it right. And yeah, it was, it's sort of it's just a weird experience because sort of doing what I do, all the gigs I've done, all the music I've put out over the last few years, and the two things that have done best online or in main, mainstream media is playing along to theme tunes. It's, it's sort of that weird irony, isn't it? It's sort of it's great to have the the attention for something, but mm. you really wish it was your music rather than just something you did in five minutes. But I, yeah. I think it's ever the way. Yeah, but then the hope is that some element of that brings, even if it's a small percentage, brings people along or brings some attention along to the other stuff that you've done. Yeah, def- and I have I have seen that on on my Twitter. Um, I got six hundred followers in two days. Mm. including Ed Balls, which was a, a big moment. Well, there you go. Good. Yeah. He, he messaged me as well saying he liked the video I did with the weatherman, which was a, a career <laughs> highlight. But um, and it, it's, it's difficult because obviously I have that extra audience there now, which is amazing. And I've seen a, f- a few of them interacting with my videos that I've been doing, but I think a lot of people would have followed me thinking what I do is these little funny, quirky things mm. um, to viral videos. And then I've since every day been uploading these proper songs and proper tunes that I've been doing. And they're probably thinking, oh, this isn't as fun. Um, so there's that difficult thing. Do you try and sort of appease those people by carrying on doing more of the other things? And I guess we'll see. If something comes to me, I'll do it. But I'm not going to sit down and force it out, I guess. But the really great thing is it's up to you. You know, there's not actually anybody yeah. telling you you have to do that. So it's... If you want to do it, you do. And if you don't, you don't, which is, again, I think one of the advantages of uh, the technologies it is at the moment. There's not a record label yeah, you, that's you, saying you have to do this, otherwise no one will ever hear it. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And in about, you can decide something in five minutes, you can be doing it. Mm. Uh, you can say, oh, I want to just stream this new couple of songs I've written on Facebook. You can do that and set it up within five minutes. And yeah, sure, obviously you'd want to plan it a bit better if you want as many viewers as possible but mm. 
people can share music at the drop of a hat at the moment. And I think that's a, a brilliant thing. And it's weird. I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of tweets by people on Twitter, obviously, because that's where you tweet. But <laughs> sort of by musicians sort of almost slating people, especially amateur musicians, for putting stuff online. And I really I find that absolutely bizarre and sort of very hypocritical. Mm. And I I've got so close to tweeting a couple of people sort of calling them out on that but then i realized it's not really my brand and also <laughs> i'm not a confrontational person in the slightest i just sort of i simmer i simmer under the surface and yeah. then relax yeah and never say anything but i think if, if someone at home who has never picked up a guitar in life has learned guitar and wants to play a beatles song online yeah why can't they it doesn't it doesn't affect us it doesn't get in the way of professional musicians at all it's just for their friends and family and mm-hmm. i think it should just be understood as that uh, rather than that they made this almost competition between yeah i've used the word online war used at the moment in terms of creativity and i really don't agree with that and i think that's a very weird mindset but yeah and the second controversial thing no yeah i'm gonna say you're not controversial you're not um what did you say you're not confrontational save it for podcast interviews that's perfect um yeah absolutely <laughs> What's that online war thing then? Just to go into that a bit more for me. Well, I've, I've seen a couple of people sort of essentially implying, and if they if they listen to this, they'll know they'll know who I mean. But it's sort of tweets that are implying that at the moment musicians of all all across the spectrum are sort of competing to get the online space and the views and the likes. Um, to, and I'm guessing the idea of that is to like be financially viable and bring some money in and to be honest that that probably is the case for some people some people are i think being quite clinical with it but fair play to them if you've got the ability to do that why would you not be doing it if you've lost three three months work at least maybe seven or eight like it's completely understandable and i don't see how musicians themselves would not see that that's the case yeah like sure you're allowed to see someone put a video up that gets I've had it myself. I've seen someone put a video and it's getting 30,000, 40,000 views. Mm. And there's part of me that's like, oh, I wish I'd done that or oh, I wish I'd get those views. But then you th- you've got to think, but fair play to them for actually doing it and yeah. making it happen and doing, doing something brilliant. Because things don't get views if they're awful. Mm. Like The things that are getting views at the moment are genuinely inspirational and really innovative. And sort of, yeah, sure, there is a bit of pushing around for sort of an audience, but that audience isn't going anywhere at the moment. Yeah, and it, it, you shouldn't shouldn't imply that people are sort of being sort of are essentially in the wrong by trying to put stuff out that's getting views and, and bringing them in money by PayPal donations or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's because I mean that that PayPal thing. It's one thing I've not done so far because I, I've, I've felt uncomfortable with it on a personal level, but also from the fact I'm doing collaboration videos. Yeah, it looks. It, well, it looks and is dodgy if I just take all the donations from that. So that's why I'm doing an album Kickstarter to hopefully shed all that out. But the people who are putting the PayPal links, fair play to them. They've got the balls to do it. And if people like their music and like the stuff they're putting out, they can just make a donation. It's like buying a CD. Mm. Who cares? It's not bothering anyone else. Yeah. So, yeah. I hope I've I hope I've elaborated there without being too uh, too <laughs> specific. No, no, it's great. It's all very valid. I mean, I think the as you mentioned earlier, there's so suddenly now there's so much sort of this online, certainly the streaming gigs and everything, which seemed I mean, I've done some before uh, the current situation, and they always seem quite novel and quite quaint. But all of a sudden now, it's like yeah, every musician in the world is doing that. Fine, okay, and you're yeah. competing with super duper famous people but actually it's not like you're competing in a venue for with them it's <laughs> there's enough room online for everything yeah so it's yeah, you know you know what i mean so it can seem a bit like when you see all this stuff popping up on your feed it's like oh god there's someone else there's someone else gonna be. but i think we put a lot of those problems on ourselves actually they're not really a problem that exists it's kind of a, our own feelings of um inadequacy or as you say why didn't i think of that and this idea that they're yeah. stealing an audience, I think there's enough audience to go around because, yeah, there's a lot of musicians, but there's a lot of people in the world who aren't. <laughs> so there should be enough people yeah. to go around everybody, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think, to be honest, a lot of it comes down to 
what we talked about at the beginning, how different people are coping with this. Mm. And I think it'd be very, it probably it probably stems from that place of people feeling like they've got to be productive but aren't feeling like doing it. Yeah. And then seeing people who are sort of profiting off that must yeah. be a sort of a kick in the teeth if, if that's how you're feeling. So I, I can understand where it comes from. Mm. I just don't think it's a healthy way of, I, I think that should, should be kept to yourself if that's how, you, if that's how you're thinking about what people are doing. That's certainly a, a good way of putting it. I mean, for social media, I kind of feel that we're going to be seeing the best and the worst of it at the moment, you know, as, yeah. we, as we do anyway, but this is just going to really put a magnifying glass to it. So the good things are it's allowing people to keep in touch. It's allowing people to keep amused. It's allowing people to see what's going on. But then obviously you've got the fake news and you've just got the nastiness, which was there before, but yeah. it just seems to be going through the roof at the moment. I guess there's just people stuck at home feeling un- unhappy with themselves and throwing that out yeah. to other people. I mean, what I'm uh, probably I'm going to say something else controversial, but there's not on folks seeing. I'm going to try and annoy mm. as many people as possible. Please do, yeah. But this... Um, the, the the clap for the NHS thing, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And the first few times I did it, it, it felt, having not seen many people for a week, just knowing that people are around you, I think is such a comforting thing. But more and more, it's feeling like people are using it as a look at me sort of thing on social media. Yeah. Like people, if anyone's recording themselves clapping, Jesus Christ. I, no, I, one, it makes a very much non-entertaining video. Watching, oh, no, I won't mention it. But watching people sort of <laughs> just standing in their doorway clapping. We know what that but looks like as well. That. Yeah, we can imagine what that might yeah. look like. Okay. Yeah, and it's sort of it's like that awkward thing where it goes on just a bit too long. If it yeah. was three or four seconds, yeah. you sort of get the gist, but then you clapping becomes very boring very quickly. But also, I'm just seeing like, what I'll specify what I'm not talking about here. I'm not talking about people going out and sort of playing music during that yeah. time because I think that that's a lovely thing and it's a lovely thing to share with people around. But just more and more, I'm seeing people, uh, political figures and celebrities, and it's just becoming a how can I be the most impressive in this minute that's not about me? And that's really bugging me at the moment. So. There we go. I'll leave that one there. Yeah, I know what you mean. And it's very – I had a funny situation. I think it was last week or the week before. So I I keep saying this on the podcast. And, again, this is not virtue signaling. But, anyway, my wife is an intensive (laughs) care nurse. So and sometimes her shift finishes at 8 p.m. So there was a Thursday when I'd kind of left – because she has to get out of it, get changed and everything. So she walks out the door about 10 past 8. So I'd left the the flat five minutes to 8. I was leaving at 8 o'clock. And some people out on the street gave me the, I don't know if I was imagining this look, but the look they gave me to be driving out in the car rather than to be stood clapping, I felt like like a draft dodger. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> And it was this terrible thing like, yeah, but I'm going to pick up a key worker. <laughs> so it's this yeah. weird thing of it's gone from being this really lovely, sweet thing that you might choose to do to kind of being like an obligation, which is a really interesting, um, really interesting kind of um, psychology, I think. Links in with as well. I've, I've seen like there's was one time I was out at the shops and I was sort of heading to the shop, but I, there, there were people sort of on the balconies and I could sort of see them turning and shaking their head at me, <laughs> and sort of they're having no idea what I was doing. Yeah, and not not understanding the fact that I've been completely isolating and staying away from people apart yeah. from when I need to go to the shops and yeah. stuff. And it's it's this moral superiority superiority and feeling like people have got to police things that don't need policing yeah and this whole i'm i'm doing this why aren't you yeah without understanding that these people are doing it as well and yeah things that are nice and sweet like the clapping should not become something that is toxic at its core Mm. and it shouldn't be you have to do this it should be you can do this and you and you want to do it because it's it's a lovely moment but if someone doesn't want to do it or is doing something else, or in your case, doing something very important, mm. then just forget. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You don't it's know fine. what's going on with we someone enough, else. That's the th- I mean, that's yeah. the main thing. We I tr- have enough to worry about. Yeah. The main thing I try to remember with all of this is you have no idea what's going on in somebody else's somebody else's life, really. And until you do, you, sh- yeah. you shouldn't really be judging them. But we all do. It's kind of human no, nature. Okay. Yeah, ex- it's, it's what we do. Yeah, excellent. Um, this is going back a bit to something you said before, but just sort of to 
sort of pull on that thread a little bit when you were talking about the way that music so you mentioned it with the social media but also with the videos that have been put up and gone viral and it's not necessarily from how good a product is and Josie N. Clark was talking about this a bit with me as well where she was saying that um, capitalism doesn't necessarily reward the greatest art and it's like there's that is true but that's always been the case to a point hasn't it even the greatest musicians you know it was very rarely just the music that got them their audience there was something else going on in terms of their stage presence or their story is the whole social media yeah. thing a continuation of that or is it is it different well I, I think I think the two different things simply because I think someone becoming famous for or being successful because of their story or because of how they got there I think I, I see that as sort of that's still part of the performance and, and the music musician and the music. Um, so, for example, that the whole Ed Sheeran shtick of he was busking on the streets for years and sort of staying in various people's houses whilst he was going around the country, sort of playing to different people. And I think that I think that is a, a valuable part of his music and is it's a selling point absolutely. Yeah. And obviously now people have forgotten about that because he's a megastar. When he was coming up, I remember that was the thing people were saying. He was a, a couch surfer, just playing as wherever he could. Um, but if he's putting in all that effort to do that, and it genuinely obviously is for a love of the music and what it's perform, I don't, I don't think it was ever wanting to be a celebrity for him. Then I think that that does impact his music, and it does make it different. Even if, if the songs you would say are very generic mm. um, and the lyrics are too literal sometimes, which is absolutely not my opinion, of course. But... <laughs> Um, I, I, I think that's very different to someone and to be honest what, what I'm talking about is more localised to the folk scene okay. where I see a lot of people who sort of get they get up and up the, the festival running orders purely from social media presence and it's it's hard to explain without being too controversial mm. but it it's sort of frustrating uh, sometimes and uh, again this this probably comes from a position of jealousy and i shouldn't be voicing this but i'm trying to work through it psychologically as mm-hmm. i'm saying it mm-hmm. it's sort of something that mm, I, I don't know how to describe it but it, it feels like times where you're working so so hard on something and an album or something yeah an album's probably the best example you put thousands of pounds into it loads of hours in the studio mixing as well and, and mm. helping with the mastering and, and all this and then people put out things that sort of you listen to and it, it's when I can't hear effort that's my thing it's not mm. about musical ability if I can hear effort then it's something special to me mm-hmm. but the things that I've heard people putting out that has been minimum effort just to get money in mm. and that seems to work and people will buy it and people putting out loads and loads of albums and it, it then gets in people's heads, like festival organisers. Oh well, they've got seven albums out. That must mean, that must mean something. And they've got like thousands and thousands of followers on Facebook or whatever. And they've got a fan group, but it actually doesn't translate to the, the, any of those albums being like the care of love or anything mm-hmm. like that. But it seems to work, and it seems to trick some people into booking them. And Again, it's it's just it's just a different strategy to what I would do, and anything that I'm saying that's negative is probably jealousy of that working. But I think there's always that thing as a musician where you're comparing yourselves to other musicians. I don't know if you have this, but it's it's been in my life as far as I can remember. Mm. And if I do something that I'm really proud of and and think is great, and it doesn't really go down well, and then I see other stuff that is doing well, I'm sort of thinking, well, what am I doing wrong? Yeah, and I think that is the case with the social media thing. I'm starting to understand social media. It's not that I didn't understand it, but I'm starting to utilize it a bit more um, to help my music, which is what I should have been doing for years. Like I've had a solo Facebook page for five years. Mm -hmm. And I think before this whole coronavirus thing, there'd probably been about 10 posts on it. I just neglected it. And I think that the problem for me is when I see people getting these audiences through social media and, and putting things out that I would sort of say haven't had a lot of effort put into them, but getting rewards, mm. then I, I should be looking at my own presence and sort of thinking, well, if I can build up the audience and then put out stuff that I'm still proud of, mm. then it would reach more people. Mm. And 
so essentially what I'm saying is I've come I've had I've had a negative viewpoint about something and this whole situation has forced me to realise that my negative viewpoint was simply because I wasn't utilising it myself, I mm. guess. Mm. Um so hopefully we'll learn from that and I'll <laughs> have a better presence in the future. There's a lot in that that's really interesting. And the whole thing with comparison, um, I like talking to people about that because, again, <laughs> sort of comparing how much other musicians compare themselves to each other compared to how I do. So yeah. even that in itself is a stupid comparison, but I do I do find it interesting because I really do. And, yeah. I, again, that social media thing doesn't necessarily help with one's own uh, approach and mental health in that because you kind of – you know that everyone is just putting out pretty much the very best the same as people on facebook putting pictures of their kids looking you know clean and fantastic and yeah you know when you know for a, a fact that there's days when things have not gone perfectly but they don't put the pictures on that day yeah. and it's the same with shows you know that artists are turning up and having less than perfect gigs but they don't talk about those they talk about how brilliant things are and even yeah, though you course. know yeah. that on a logical front you'll still take that on sometimes if you're in the wrong frame of mind and be like oh they're doing so well everybody's doing so well things aren't working for me and it's a really weird yeah. self-punishment that i think a lot of us do to ourselves and i so you're sort of learning of trying not to, to have those emotions. It's the same for me, really. It's just or, or trying to, as you say, use them in a positive way, and particularly jealousy. Yeah, jealousy does tend to be about actually your own feelings about yourself rather than the other person. Um, it's quite dangerous though, because well, I think that's where a lot of the trolling and stuff can come from. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, people who sort of wish they were doing that thing mm. and turn it into a negative and that they get the, the pleasure they get is that of bringing that person down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. Um, I, I think one thing that was sort of a bit toxic at the start of my career was, well, when I say start of my career, this is when I was starting to play with Greg mm. and we had a couple of sort of unbelievable years where we won two folk awards mm -hmm. and then it started being every year. I would base the success of the year or what I'd done on if we were nominated for a folk award. <laughs> and there, there, were, there were a couple, of, and it's such a, it's such a high bar to go, and it's ridiculous now that I think about it, but I was, what, I was 16, 17? Mm. And I was sort of thinking, well, if I'm not being nominated for an award or winning an award, yeah. I'm not doing well enough. And one of the best things I ever did was when I got over that and realised how ridiculous that was. Because <laughs> um, there were a couple of years where I'd watched the folk awards and just sort of, be swearing at the telly or sort of like oh what, what are they doing that i'm not and all this and it really it brought out a really not very nice side of me mm. and the time that i realized it's not about awards it's not about that it's about putting out music that you care about and love making that that's the main thing about what we do and yeah my whole approach to because that's the closest i ever came to sort of stopping doing this right it was, it was in that period where i was seeing the folk awards of success and being talked about as success Mm. and when sort of realised that wasn't happening I was sort of thinking well what's the point then and forgetting that it had been two years since we put an album out mm. and of course like that's the natural progression you put an album out everyone talks about you you might get nominated for something who knows and then you, you sort of that that being talked about decreases mm. over the next time until you release an album that's just how it goes Yeah. Um, as soon as I realised that and realised how stupid I was being my whole approach to music became a lot healthier and I think my mental health as well with mm -hmm. that. And, you know, lucky to um, have that at such a young age as well and to be able to get through it and have such a, a healthy or a more healthy attitude afterwards. Yeah. I mean, because I think a lot of people who sort of are professional musicians don't usually start around that age. So like you say, it's probably good to get that sort of thing out of the way whilst you're younger. I expect also, it can go one of two ways if it does happen to you at that young age, though. <laughs> it can either yeah, turn you into an horrible... An absolute monster. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, and also there's, there's a thing of these things probably wouldn't have been... Sort of looking at the folk awards as that's the end goal mm. and that's the sign of success. That I wouldn't, Would I have had that naivety had I been five years older at the time, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it's probably got benefits starting at a young age and negatives. Sure. And a weird one for me was sort of coming out of university, well, dropping out of university is a technical term, I think, uh -huh. a year and a half into my degree, and seeing all of my friends and stuff with their degrees going off and doing jobs and making a jump into careers. Yeah. 
and I was just exactly where I'd been for four or five years. Uh-huh. Sort of maybe getting paid a bit more per gig, but sort of that was a that was something I struggled with for a while. Was sort of seeing everyone else having these career changes or jumps, yeah, and me having absolutely nothing. And it was sort of feeling like, oh, am I doing something? Is this the right thing to be doing? Because mm. when you're 16 and you're earning 150 quid for a gig, yeah, you sort of you you're big balls on the playground. Mm-hmm. But when you <laughs> when you're 23 and getting 150 quid for a gig, mm-hmm. you're suddenly thinking, oh, well, that's not quite what it used to be. Yeah, yeah. And where where's it going as well? <laughs> How sustainable yeah, absolutely, is it? absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, the writing that you mentioned earlier, then, in terms of was it novels that you were thinking you were going to be doing? Fiction? Yeah, um, yeah. So I always had this. It was always my strongest subject, apart from music. Um, probably stronger in most cases, where I'd write a lot in primary school and I'd turn into writing a lot of creative stuff in high school. Mm. And then I was, I sort of at that time when I was thinking I was going to be an author, I was about thirteen, fourteen. But I'd never actually tried to write a story. Well, I'd written stories in school and stuff, but I'd never sat down in my own time and started trying to write something. And last year at some point, I sort of, well, I was on tour with Dan Walsh and um, Nick Sapardi and the Dan Walsh trio. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of long days, as you'll know, on tour where Mm -hmm. you're sort of waiting around. And I took my laptop and sort of thought, I'll try and write something. And something that I've wanted to do for ages is write a TV show um, based on. It used to be a novel. That's what I wanted to write. Mm-hmm. But then I realized my sort of style probably suits a TV show better. I love the idea of writing for comedy. Mm-hmm. So I started writing a TV show based on my school orchestra. Oh, cool. Um, and I have no idea what to do with it. I don't know what, who to, how you even approach it because it's not my world at all. But it's been some of the most fun I've had creatively in years sort of writing it. And the best thing is it's, it's come from a position of experience yeah. with being in my school orchestra when I was in high school and sort of it's just a great nostalgic experience even if nothing ever comes of it mm. just thinking of these memories and these funny moments and writing them out in a funny way mm. is just oh it's, it's one that it's one of the most fun things I've done in a while and to be honest I thought I'd end up using this lockdown to write that and I haven't mm. touched it since we've been doing it because I've got into the music again yeah but yeah it's um I really I really hope something happens with that down the line but yeah, I love, I love writing. Absolutely love it. Fascinating. And the more I talk to people, the the more, you know, we have a habit of putting people in boxes, I think. You know, like this person's a musician, yeah. this person's an actor, whatever it is. But it's, you know, it's just creativity. And I believe that that creativity actually is in everybody. It's just that the the major percentage of people don't explore it once they get to a certain age. But if you are doing, yeah, absolutely. if you are doing something creative in one sphere, there's no reason to think that you you're not able to do it somewhere else. But as you say, even if nothing happens with it, even if it's not any good, you know, it's the which I'm sure is not the case with your script, by the way. But if somebody <laughs> does something that isn't fantastic, if they've got something out of doing it, then that's. And I think that's another yeah. thing that yeah. could potentially be a positive of the situation we're in now. You know, so I do bits of teaching and done some work in schools with music and drama and we know that for a while that stuff has been under pressure in schools kind of the feeling being well it's nice if people can do that for a bit of fun but it's not an important thing for them to do it's not going to get them a job it's not important well all of a sudden all the important proper real world jobs can't be done (laughs) and the things that are important are the looking after each other and the healthcare and then mental health is being helped by people's creativity or, you know, taking on other people's creative efforts. So it's interesting how that's changed and whether that will continue. Oh, my my one big hope from this is that what people will take once, once life goes back to semi normal Mm -hmm. is that people will remember how much the NHS helped them. I'm talking, I'm talking, not to the government because they're not going to be listening to this, but I'm talking about them. The people, I hope they remember yeah. what yeah. the NHS have done. I hope they remember what care workers have done. I hope they remember what the arts have done in this time. Yeah. Because they're, they're happy to use it for sort of all this stuff, um, sort of promoting what they're doing. And, and oh, yeah. thank you, the NHS. Oh, we love you so much. Thank you for saving Boris Johnson's life and all this. Yeah. But that, that's got to be remembered. And I'll have, to be honest, I'll have a lot of respect from them if they do remember that and make positive changes moving forward. I'm skeptical of that, but who knows? You've got to sort of hope for the best from this. But I think people, if the government don't remember that, and the people who have been helped by all of these things over the last month and will continue to be helped by them, should really 
look after those things and remember how important the arts are and the NHS is and all these things. Because I think we were getting to a like we were getting to a point where arts dropping out of schools and the NHS being criminally underfunded. Hopefully, this is a turning point for that. And we will see, I suppose. And the BBC as well. I mean, whatever your views on the BBC were, I felt as if just before this happened, there was quite a sort of backlash on we shouldn't fund the BBC. Yeah. It should be voluntary. You know, it's nowhere near as good as Netflix or whatever. Why should I pay for the BBC? Yeah. Well, actually, if the BBC does some of the things that it's talking about doing at the moment through this period of, you know, what it was supposed to do, the education and the culture as well as the entertainment, then it could be their, it could be their finest hour too. Be, be interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm very fond of the BBC and I sort of, I always like to look at debates from both sides and try yeah. to understand them both. And I, I can see why there's debate over the licence fee and sure. then they've got obviously pressure from the government to sort of, they've been funded by the government, so sort of don't have a go at us too much. And then obviously the backlash of that being, oh, the BBC are biased. And it's sort of, they're in a very difficult position, but yeah. Exactly the same thing as I said before. I hope people sort of realise, and it's also got to be the BBC as well. The BBC has got to realise the the use it can be to people. Yes, and carry on providing services that are helpful to people, and also and quite, seen, I'm sure, quite unique as well. It can do things that other yeah. providers can't. I think, but it doesn't. Absolutely. It doesn't always. I don't know. Platforms. Yeah, I don't know if it always remembers that. Because again, it, yeah. it's a competition thing, isn't it? There's a feeling that it has to compete on a commercial basis with other things, which is different. You know, if you're just doing commercial, we're going on quite a different subject here. But if you are just going on commercial basis, then some of the things that are important but don't have, you know, super millions numbers of people watching them might get left behind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I just, I hope BBC sort of realise that and take it going forward from a position of. We can provide a service that no one else can for the British people. Mm. And if, if they use that and take it forward, then I think they'll be in a very good position simply because we're all, I imagine, thankful for very different things, but thankful for what they're doing at the moment. And yeah. 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 I've been watching more, more BBC than I've been watching Netflix over this last few weeks. Mm. So, although I've started watching the Marvel films on Disney Plus, so I've been watching a lot of them. But um, yeah, the BBC. As long as it is run properly and for the right reasons, then I think it's a wonderful thing. Good. That's your pitch for the sitcom as well, so that's good. Uh, absolutely. Oh, that, that's my preferred destination, to be honest. But <laughs> if, Net, if Netflix come in with a big book, then we're going to have to consider it, aren't we? Netflix do amazing stuff, to be fair. I mean, particularly some of the, yeah, some of the stuff they do is fantastic, but it, it is different. It's a commercial thing. Anyway, that's not important. That's not yeah. what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> Kieran, tell us where we can see the stuff that you're working on at the moment and the, obviously the things you've so, done in the past as well yeah so the best place is probably at the moment for my daily videos is my facebook page which is um if, if it's the at thing it's at kieran algar music um c-i-a-r-a-n-a-l-g-a-r um but if you search kieran algar it should come up on facebook um i'm twitter at kieran algar instagram at kieran algar it's a good thing about having a quite unique name it's yeah, no one yeah. Else has got the handles. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And um, yeah, sort of. I've got albums up on with Greg Russell on RussellAlgar.co.uk, and yeah, just anywhere you search my name. If you can spell it right, that's a challenge. If you can spell <laughs> it right, you'll find me. So that's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you get your fairly discerning audience. Really, they have to be able to spell to begin with. Absolutely, it's sort of a, it's like a, the crystal maze to find me. <laughs> and, yeah. Great. Okay, Kieran, thank you so much for taking the time to do that. That's been fascinating. And um, keep no those problem. videos coming out because we're enjoying seeing them. Fantastic. No, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Take care. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. See you next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers podcast. If you could subscribe to the podcast, share it, like it, comment on it, review it, tell all your friends about it, all of those things would be fantastic because the more that people do that, the more that new people get a chance to hear the podcast, join the community and enjoy the content that we're putting out. You can find me at robertlanemusic.co.uk and I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as Robert Lane Music. Please get in touch, let me know if you're enjoying the programmes and who you think I should talk to in the future. Thank you, till next time, goodbye. <laughs>